Heavenly Father, we thank you for being among us. We rejoice in your presence. And we thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus, who makes things possible for us to have this wonderful relationship with you that we cherish. I ask now that your Holy Spirit roam freely in this room so that you will open up our minds to know what you want us to know, to open up our hearts so that we may feel what you want us to feel. Help us, Lord, to open our eyes to see what you want us to see and our ears to hear what you want us to hear. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there are times in our lives that there are moments when we have these very vital, important, precious questions that sometimes we want to to ask somebody about or some party about. They could be some sort of request that we need permission or we need approval or we need a sign-off before we can move on. Well, one particular time in my life where I needed to get approval and it was very important for me to get that approval was when I asked Terry's dad for Terry's hand in marriage. Now, it's a story I know I've shared before, but I think it bears repeating. We were sitting in Terry's parents' home in their living room. So Terry was having a conversation on the side with her mom in one corner of the room, and I was talking to Terry's dad at the couch on another side of the room. And as we were going through our, our small talk, I decided to ask Terry's dad the big question. I said, Terry and I have been seriously dating, and we've decided that we would like to get married. So, Mr. Fong, can I have your daughter's hand in marriage? So, as soon as I said that, there's that old commercial, that E.F. Hutton commercial, right, when there's all silence in the room and everybody's ears perked up. I, I, at the side of my eyesight, I could see Terry and her mom. Uh, Terry's mom starts squealing in in, in, uh, delight, hearing what I just asked. But Terry's dad was stoic. His face did not change at all. He paused. He was silent. He looked at me. And then he continued to talk about something. I can't even remember what it was. Was it sports or the weather? And I was kind of perplexed because I just had this, you know, courageous effort to ask this question of her father. And he, he almost kind of just ignored me. And I I was wondering, did he hear me, or is he kind of struggling with an answer? So this was vital to me to know. So I said, Mr. Fong, I don't know if you heard me correctly, (laughs) but I'm asking for your daughter's hand in marriage. And so, yes, Terry's dad said something like, I guess it's okay. So I took it as a yes. And we moved on, and so we did get married. But there are times in life when we have those kind of questions, right? And the more important the question, the more precious the question, oftentimes we can be very anxious about it. And sometimes we can be even intimidated that we may not even want to bring up that question. Well, I I share that story because in many ways, sometimes when we approach God with some of our requests, our prayer concerns, sometimes we have that same kind of anxiousness. Or sometimes we have that kind of intimidation that we don't even want to bring it up. But maybe also there are sometimes in our own experiences in our prayer life that there are times when when we bring up our prayer request to God, 
He doesn't answer them in the way that we expect. Sometimes maybe we get hurt by the answers that we get back from God. And sometimes we keep on praying and we feel God is not hearing us, just like my father-in-law. Well, today, we're going to learn that as people of God, that people of God are also people of prayer. Last week, Pastor Andrew said that when we come before God, we should come as like little children, that we are to be shameless, but more importantly, helpless when we bring our prayer requests to God. There is no prayer request that God can't handle. God has an amazing ability to handle the most difficult and most simple of all requests. Sometimes we're actually the ones who limit God in what he can do for us. And so I want to encourage you to remember something, a simple phrase, that there is no ask too big for God. So go for it. So that's actually, if you can remember anything this morning, is to remember that there is no big ask. That there is all good before God. So I want you to repeat that statement. There's no ask too big for God. Okay, so now try saying that ten times, because I know it's going to cause some of you to stumble. I know when I'm preaching today, when I say big ask, I'm going to make sure I pronounce that K really clearly. (laughs) Otherwise, I might get into trouble here. So this morning, we're going to look into Matthew 7, and we're going to look at verses 7 to 12. And it's a very familiar text for many of us, and we're going to look together and learn what God wants for us about prayer. So, starting in verse 7 in Matthew 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them to do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. And that is the word of the Lord. So to look at this passage, just to give a little bit of background, the context for this message that this is from uh, Jesus' first sermon. It's often called the Sermon on the Mount. It's near the end of his message. And Jesus started his message by saying the good news. That essentially says, repent, and the kingdom of God is near. And then he proceeds to describe what the kingdom of God looks like and the kind of lifestyle that people live in that kind of kingdom. And one of the best simple uh, definitions I have for the kingdom of God is essentially wherever God is present and wherever people are doing God's will. So the kingdom of God is wherever God is present and wherever God's will is being done by the people. And Jesus is here describing kingdom lifestyle, and he's also describing a lifestyle that includes praying to God. And the first thing I see here, and the first thing that should jump out at you, is those three words, right? Ask, seek, knock. I think this passage is so familiar that even those who are not of the faith have heard this. I had a conversation yesterday with uh, one of Terry's aunts, who, who doesn't go to church, but she even knew this by heart. 
about asking and seeking and knocking. And these three words, the first thing that I get an impression from them when you hear them, these are words of action, right? They're very active kind of words, asking, seeking, and, and knocking. And it, they connote um, a relationship. They connote about being active and being dynamic. And it tells us that we have to be persistent in prayer, that to be continuous. And oftentimes, we are sometimes passive, I think, and timid when we pray. But these words kind of connote a different kind of feeling. And many of us come from a culture, which is kind of strange when I say that often we can be timid in our prayer, that we just kind of go through the motions and don't really think it's powerful or very um, valuable. But we come from a culture that has no problems with asking, right? I know some of you are great bargain hunters. We come from a culture that's always ready to negotiate the best price, the best discount, or find that loophole or to get some sort of extra privilege. My mother-in-law, who passed away many years ago, was one who had much advice and, and counsel to me and one of the things she's always said that kind of almost come a, a, a slogan and, and somewhat she tells me that um, you shouldn't hesitate to ask because all they can say is no right there's no no uh, major risk or anything lost by asking because you never know they could always say yes but oftentimes, many times people say no. But that's the kind of philosophy that she has. And this is kind of the philosophy God is asking us to do. It's not to have any fear or hesitation, but to ask. And, and these words, ask, seek, knock, they are verbs of action. But they also kind of give an impression of some sort of body part or body function, right? When we ask... We ask with our voice, with our mouth. So it does give that kind of impression that we are to kind of orally or verbalize our prayers, to say them out loud. They don't have to be silent. And when we seek, we generally seek with our eyes. So I encourage people, too, when you pray, you don't have to have your eyes closed. There is nothing written that you have to have your eyes closed to pray. Actually, there are times when God's movements are visual to, to one's eyes. And so to get all the information you need while you're praying, pray with your eyes because we do seek with our eyes. And also the final thing it says to knock. And knock is a very physical act, right? It's taking your hand or your fist and you knock. So that's a, a, a verb that, that instills an action. And a lot of times when we look at these this. Uh, three words, ask, seek, knock. Maybe it's our culture. Maybe it's our demeanor. We want to be polite. We want to be gentle. We want to be soft. But I think the context that God is encouraging us here is not to be gentle, not to be timid or soft. Actually, I think God is in telling us to be more passionate, to be fervent, because the progression from ask, seek, knock gives this, this feeling of urgency. And then I can kind of help you relate to that. For those of you who have ever been at an airport, like I have, and my, 
I, I'm rushing to like somewhere like Chicago. You know, O'Hare Airport is a mess. And if you go there at certain times of the, of the year, certain times of the day, it's very easy going through fighting traffic to miss your flight. And if you're trying to fly back to the West Coast, there are only a limited amount of flights. And sometimes if you miss a flight, you're going to have to stay overnight. And, and if you're a family man, that's not the best thing to do is to miss a flight and then you have to stay overnight and then you miss coming back to your family. And it happened to me one time and I'm rushing to the airport and I, I'm asking the, the, the ticket agent, can you get me onto another flight? And not all of them are very helpful, but one woman was and then she sh- switched me over. But I felt the urgency and my asking was not very gentle because I knew I wanted to get back onto the West Coast and I wanted to fly. Also, if you're a parent, how many of us haven't had that experience when our little child is lost in the midst of a crowd or a Disneyland or a Costco? And we are not just gently seeking, right? Our eyes are fervently and urgently looking for our child and searching for them. And a knocking, you know, is not often just a gentle knock at the door. Uh, I have a kind of a relic in my house, and I think I have a picture of that. It's a picture of our bedroom door, and uh, I don't know if you can notice, there's this little white patch there, right, on the door. If you can see, it's a little bit bleached out. But I've left that. That happened many years ago. It's kind of my, my memorial to a particular time. I do that with my family sometimes, that we remember certain things that happened. Uh, when one of my kids, which I won't mention, you probably will figure it out, uh, <laughs> that child, as a teen, we had a conversation. It started out as a really nice conversation from a parent's side. Uh, but it began to become more like an argument. And it got heated. And so for Terry and I, Terry and my wife, we decided we needed our own space. We needed a little time out. Time to retreat and let's calm down and reflect. So oftentimes we go into our bedroom and we lock the door and that's our private space, right? But this child decided, no, that's not good enough. Conversation was not going to end now. And that particular child took some sort of object to knock on the door and it created a big old hole. (laughs) Now that definitely that kind of urgency, that kind of passion got my attention. So I did open the door. But I think that's what I'm trying to impress upon you, that this kind of knocking that God wants us to do with him doesn't have to often be that gentle, quiet, polite kind of knocking. It can actually be almost violent. It can also be very energetic and powerful. And that's the kind of impression I'm trying to uh, give to you about this asking, seeking, and knocking. Well, When Jesus tells us to to pray, he tells us not only to ask, seek, and knock, but he seems to imply, and we see this in verses 7 and 8, that any of the requests that we bring to God, these so-called big asks, there seems to be a a guarantee that they will be answered. Because the text does say that when we ask, it will be given to you. When you seek, you will find And when you knock, the door will be opened. So it's not maybe, it's not uh, possibly, 
or would or could. It actually says will. That it seems to be this guarantee that anything we request or ask for, there will be an answer. And that's a good thing. That's an encouraging thing. That there is an answer to our prayers. Now, there is the other side, the flip side, right? And this is my warning is that oftentimes God's answer may not be the one that we really wanted to hear or expect. And that's something that we have to learn to accept. That sometimes the answer is not always yes. And sometimes it's not always no. Sometimes it's not yet. And sometimes it may even be maybe. There are multiple answers that God can give us. So the question is not what answer God gives to us. I think the approach is to get to know God so that we can recognize his voice and his answer to us when we have these prayer requests. God is not an ATM machine. You don't just go there, kind of punch in your ID, and then some sort of predetermined outcome that you are expecting comes out of the machine. God's not like that. God is a person. It's... It's a relationship. And my next point here, and this is the one, if anything, you're going to remember today, is that God loves us so much that he would not hesitate to give us whatever we need. Our Heavenly Father is is a great Father. He loves us so dearly that he wants us to ask us, ask him anything that's on our hearts. Now, the answer may not be what we want to hear, but he is there for us because the Father delights in giving good, good gifts. In verses 9 through 11, Jesus shares this parable, right, about the bread and the fish. And it's important to note that bread and fish in that kind of culture is very basic sustenance. It's basic needs. It's not luxurious kind of food. It's not about things that we would ever want to desire. They're just kind of pointing to very basic needs. And that's how he's pointing to, to these, um, our prayer requests, things that you would ask God. They are things that God will give to us if they are our basic needs. And when we pray, a lot of times we are focused on our requests more than the person that we're addressing, right? A lot of times we're interested more in what we can get out versus the person that we're approaching. And here, Jesus is trying to point out in this parable of the bread and the fish about a father, you know, a human father would not uh, give his son a stone for bread. He would not give a snake for a fish. And that's the context of the parable that that Jesus is giving. And if a human father can do that, our Heavenly Father, who is a perfect father, we could even do more than that, right? And I know when I say that for many of us, especially some of us who come from a culture where our relationships with our fathers have not been that great, right? In Asian cultures, fathers generally are not very emotional, they don't really share their affirmation very freely. And, and that can cause it to have a disconnect because we then project onto our Heavenly Father 
our experiences that we have with our earthly fathers. And so when Jesus is sharing this parable about a father who wouldn't give his son a stone or, or a snake, there could be a disconnect for a lot of us because we can't really identify with that. But recently I had a conversation with, uh, with Bino, and, and Bino gave me permission to share the story because I think it's a wonderful illustration of, a God's, uh, of God's love on, on a father and a father then having a love for his son. Um, Bino, growing up, had a colorful life. <laughs> He had a kind of a rough start. Um, I think it was probably in his teen years, in his high school years. I think he shared that one of his uh, darkest moments was sitting in a jail cell. And um, Bino said that uh, essentially he was kicked out of high school. And um, at that moment, you know, in Asian culture, it's pretty shameful, right? pretty embarrassing when a child doesn't meet up to certain expectations. And, and, and Bino's father told him, you're going into the military. You're going to enlist in the army. And so Bino, without too much choice, decided to enlist. And he went and served in the military. And when he came back, his father, changed by God, did something very surprising to Bino. He took him uh, in his arms, he hugged him, and he said, I'm proud of you. And, and Bino, for Bino, that was kind of something that was totally unusual, out of character, and def- definitely had to be an act of God to change his, his own father. But it was a, it's a demonstration of a father's affirmation of his son, the extension of grace and love. And that's the kind of heavenly father that we have who... If our earthly fathers can do that for us, our heavenly father can do even more. So remember that one thing I wanted you to, to, to remember today, there's no ask too big for God. So go for it. So what are we to pray for? Well, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to be different. We are to be changed. We are to be transformed. When we say things, do things, when we walk, talk, eat, we are to be noticed as different from what the world often sees. Because otherwise, what's the point? What's the point? Being a follower of Jesus means you have a transformed life. And that should be demonstrated also in the things that we pray for. That a lot of times in our kind of culture where we are more consumer-oriented, where we are more individualistic, when we are more self-focused. A lot of time our prayer requests are for ourselves. And there's some, some reasonability that that's okay. I mean, God can honor those things. But I think the text here points us in a different direction. That answered prayer, or prayer that is going to make a difference, that prayer that is going to be powerful and transforming, is found in verse 12. The text says that we are to essentially do to others as they would do to us, right? Jesus is sharing here essentially what is known in many cultures and many faiths as the golden rule. 
Jesus poses it here as opposed to other cultures and other faiths, often put it as a negative. Often other, uh, other ways to say the golden rule is do not do unto others. Jesus turns it around and in positive form, and he says, do to others as you want them to do to you. And it's something that everybody can adopt, everybody can't argue against. But here he poses it as the reason why we should ask, seek, and knock. It's not for ourselves, but we are to ask on behalf of others, to intercede for others for their needs. And for sure, God has a higher chance of honoring that when we pray for others as opposed to ourselves. And, you know, I've seen that in my own culture, in my own story, that, that I experienced this ask, seek, knock, that there is no ask too big for God. In my own story, I think it was about more than 35 years ago, there was a moment in my life where I was desperate. That in a very dark time in my life, that life didn't look worth living and would actually be better if I was not living. But in that moment, I had an urgency and a fervency to ask God, to ask Jesus, please save me. That's a big ask. And God is always seeking those who are asking, who are lost and are seeking him. So God is always searching, and God was seeking me. That he sent and a couple who were canvassing my neighborhood and sharing the good news of Jesus. And they came knocking at my door. At the moment I said that prayer request, minutes following that, there was a knocking on my door. So when I asked... And Jesus was seeking, this couple came knocking. And I opened the door and they shared the good news of Jesus with me. And on that day, I accepted Christ. And so in my life, I realized that there is no question or request that God can't handle. And that he can't answer in a positive and immediate way. And that was proof positive for me. We are to ask, seek, and knock because we have a God who asks, seeks, and knocks. We are to ask, seek, and knock because Jesus asks, seeks, and knocks. Jesus asks in Luke 18, he says, what do you want me to do for you? And Jesus is seeking because in Luke 19, verse 10, he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. And Jesus comes knocking, because in Revelations 3, verse 20, he says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, and he would eat with me. That's good news. And that's why we shall remember, and we should remember, that there's no ask too big for God, so go for it. That's my story of about a prayer request that's answered. And I'd like you now to hear a story from a father who also prayed for his son 
and God answered in an amazing way. Why don't we welcome um, Dave Atai. you guys, you guys have been um, just sharing this journey with me and Matthew and my family um, of, of Matthew's illness, but a lot of you guys may not know um, a lot about Matthew's story, so I'm going to kind of tell you about it. Uh, Matthew was born um, in 1998. He was a healthy kid. He loved to run around, play with balls, and um, played played a lot of basketball with him, played, we used to play uh a lot of baseball. He had an incredible um, hand-eye coordination when he was little. And in fact, a couple times we'd be playing in the backyard, and I'd pitch pitch a ball to him, and he would whack it, <laughs> and it went up hitting me and almost injuring me. And he was just just a very very active kid, and um, just was always running, 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 running. And um, in uh, February 27, 2002, so he was about three and a, a little three and a half years old. Um, we noticed that he he started to kind of walk with a, his head tilted to one side, and his balance wasn't as good. And he started to he was starting to drool a lot more than usual. And so we took him to the doctor, and the doctor kind of at first kind of kind of didn't seem too concerned, and and so she was just saying, oh, it's probably an inner ear infection, or that's affecting his equilibrium. Um, and just as she left the room, Matthew threw up. And so she noticed, she goes, oh, hmm, he's been throwing up very much. And, um, you know, that was like one of the first times he threw up. So the doctor then said, well, why don't you take him to uh, the, the emergency room? And now we're getting a little concerned, like, oh, it was a little bit more concerning. So we took him to the emergency room, and they, they did a CT scan on his head. And... What they found was they found that he had um, something called hydrocephalus. Hydrocephalus is, is swelling of, of, of the brain. Uh, there's a lot of fluid that had built up in his brain. And, and for some kids, that, that just happens. And um, the doctors kind of explained, oh, yeah, we'll just put this little shunt in his, in his head, and they'll drain the fluid, and he'll, he'll be good as new again. So we were kind of relieved, like, oh, good, good thing. And that was a, a, a physician assistant that kind of shared that with us. Um, but later they took an MRI, and after um, the MRI, they realized that why he had the hydrocephalus was he had a brain tumor, and the brain tumor was located in the midbrain area. So the midbrain is where all of our um, our primitive functions are, such as breathing and our heart rate, and so they couldn't operate, and so. Um, the doctors then told us for, for most of these cases, um, uh, your, your son will probably live to, for maybe like six months on the outside, maybe a year. And when we heard this, of course, it was just unbelievably devastating news. And, um, you know, my voice is still shaking even, even now. And it, it was just the worst news I've ever heard, and it just brought me to, literally to my knees. It was like someone punched me in the gut, 
And, um, but I remember thinking, you know, all these verses coming to, to my head, Romans 8, 28, you know, um, for God works all things to work together for good. And then um, Philippians 4, 6 immediately came to my head, you know, uh, be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And so I immediately called friends and uh, a couple of family members, and we, we set up a, a Yahoo Groups uh, list, and, and we, we, you know, updated people, and people got on this list. And at the, we, we had a list of prayers, and we would pray. Um, at the end of the prayer, we would always say, you know, we pray that um, this tumor would completely dissolve and disappear. Um, so Matthew, in the beginning, Matthew underwent chemotherapy. The chemotherapy was essentially to slow down the, um, the growth of, of the tumor in the hopes that um, if Matthew lived long enough, perhaps there might be a cure, you know, maybe in a few years or something miraculous might, might, uh, medically might come about. So we, he underwent chemotherapy, and um, during this time we, we prayed for that um, Matthew would not be too anxious or, or fearful. And that prayer was, was pretty much answered. I mean, he was just amazing all through these treatments. Um, he had to get a lot of blood draws. Um, I don't know how your kids or kids deal with, with getting shots, and, but he had to get multiple blood draws. And I remember one time in the hospital, um, he was getting his blood draw, and just, you know, it was just like, Nothing. And he, after the phlebotomist gave him his blood draw, he gave the, the phlebotomist a big hug, and he thanked her. And um, the phlebotomist just started to tear up. And it was because no one had ever hugged her, <laughs> ever, or thanked her in all these years. So that was one thing that, you know, proved that God had answered us, you know. He was not anxious. He, he did a lot. Most of his MRIs, he was able to do without sedation, which from, I don't know if anyone has had MRIs, but you know a lot of people, adults included, are, are just fearful of MRIs for some reason. But Matthew was always able to, to do MRIs without it, and he probably did at least 20, um, so quite a few. Um, so those were, were some of the things that, um, there was the answered prayer. Um, we also prayed for, for Matthew's physical condition during this time because he was only three and a half, and now he's going through chemotherapy. Chemotherapy lowers your, your, your immunity. And, and we wanted him to attend preschool, and you know how preschools are. Those are like incubators for, for sicknesses, and you know kids would come in with runny noses and things like that, and somehow Matthew never got sick. It was just amazing how God's hand was completely upon this kid. And, um, but yet, you know, he conti- continued to struggle. Um, so the next probably three years, we were kind of in and out of the hospital, mostly because he had some shunt issues. So, so the, 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 um, the shunts weren't quite working well. The, the tumor itself had remained stable. And so that was the good news, that the, the tumor 
was not growing, that it seemed to, like the tumor had been arrested. So, um, but yet, Matthew still had to endure a couple other surgeries to kind of help remove some of the fluid that was, was building up. Um, finally, in 2000 and, 2006, um, he, we noticed that he was starting to have more difficulties in his speech. Um, he had an audiology um, study done on him, and it found that uh, he was losing his uh, hearing in, in the left side. And we noticed that he was starting to slur a lot more. And so we took him to the doctor, and another MRI showed that the tumor was starting to grow again. Um, obviously, we were, again, just devastated. Uh, just, it was extremely scary. And so this time, the doctors felt that it, it was time for radiation. And radiation therapy on a, on a young kid is just devastating because it, it, it destroys not only the, the, um, the tumor, uh, bad tissue, but it also destroys a lot of good tissue too. So um, we were very you know, anxious about that. But, um, so they, they administered the, the, the radiation, and it was probably within, that was in the like, late summer, just before he was going to start his uh, uh, first grade at, at school. And by October, he, he was pretty much unable to, to walk at that point. And, and so this is like 2006, and it was, it was really tough during this time. Um, he had to, he, he went into the hospital. They started doing um, another procedure to kind of help with his, um, he was starting to produce more fluid. He was having more balance issues. So they had to do another procedure on him. And uh, this time it was, it was really, really rough. He, he had a hard time coming out of, um, uh, he was almost in a coma for a couple of weeks, and and somehow he he made it through, and and we also prayed that Matthew um, wouldn't be depressed or 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 get dis- discouraged, and and I'll I'll tell you a funny story, especially since our third through fifth grade boys classes here. Um, Matthew's uncle had bought Matthew this remote control fart machine <laughs> and so Matthew he had it hidden under his his covers and um, the neurosurgeon it was a it was an intern neurosurgeon who who was just kind of getting to know Matthew and he was kind of young you know he's probably like 28 and so he's he's kind of interviewing Matthew and then Matthew would hit the little remote control and it'd make a noise <laughs> And, but he wouldn't laugh. He would just a- answer all the questions. And all the while, he'd hit the little button. And finally, the interview was done. And, and um, the doctor took me and my wife, Ann, out. And she said, so does, does Matthew always have so much gas? <laughs> and so finally, we had to enlighten him that he had just been punked. He had been pranked. <laughs> um, and that just shows, you know, that. You know, all this time, Matthew's 
um, sense of humor was, was never lost. He still had a, a great sense of humor. Um, unfortunately, things continue to worsen. Um, in another year passed, 2007, um, the doctors really felt like um, they needed to try to debulk the tumor because the tumor is really starting to affect his, 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 just his function, his daily functions. Um, they, the doctor, you know, scheduled surgery. It was, I remember it was like, uh, it was towards, um, it was in November. It was almost towards Thanksgiving time. And um, I just remember the news after that the doctor said, you know, he went in there and he, he did what he could, but the tumor was spread all over um, in the brainstem and, the, and went into the cerebellum and, the, and in the brain. So, again, just terrible, terrible news. Um, we just didn't know what else to, to think of it. And finally, um, the doctor, who was, he was also emotionally invested in, in Matthew's life, and he kind of said, you know, I think it's time that, um, you know, just go home and, and, and just enjoy, enjoy the rest of the time with Matthew. Um, and so this was around Thanksgiving time. And, and so I, at this point, took off work and, and just, oh, it was just a terrible, terrible time. Um, Matthew's went from not being able to, really stand to couldn't even sit by himself he couldn't sit you know on the ground without falling over uh, his swallowing function we had to like pretty much uh, grind up everything so like almost puree everything so that he could swallow um, and you know it just seemed like it's a matter of months and the doctor said medically speaking there's nothing else we can do um so prayer, we, you know, all this time we had been praying, God, that this tumor would dissolve, that um, Matthew's condition would improve. Well, Matthew's condition miraculously did improve. He was able to go from not being able to sit up to being able to sit up. Then he was able to stand again. He was able to take one step without assistance. And I remember getting a video from his uncle showing him walking from the the couch to the TV and back and it was like wow I never thought I would see him be able to walk again and and just through the years um, he just slowly slowly improved and and that was just a miracle you know to me that he was able to to walk without assistance I thought he would never get out of his wheelchair um, and then fast forward to 2012. Um, my wife Ann had taken Matthew to uh, Stanford because he just gets yearly, yearly checkups now uh, at this point. Um, he had been relatively stable. Uh, he would do MRIs once every, probably actually twice a year at this point. And... Uh, at this particular appointment, the, doc, the doctor said, oh, the tumor's gone. 
I, I, I couldn't believe it. I had to actually um, talk to, to the doctor to hear it myself. And um, that, that's exactly what we were waiting for. Um, God had answered our prayers. I just remember... Um, just the years of, of, of um, praying upstairs, praying, all of you guys praying. And God handed out to And um, all in all, um, Matthew survived. Um, 19 surgeries, uh, Catalan's MRIs, x-rays, CT scans. And, you know, I just believe that God had, has just done an amazing work. And, and we just have this amazing, amazing story to tell. And we have a walking miracle in our congregation. And so, thanks. What a better story to, to hear of an amazing God who answers our prayers, right? So that's not a story that demonstrates that there is no ask too big for God. So go for it, right? And that's an opportunity we have this morning that I'm going to offer for all of us to be able to do, to bring those prayer requests, those things we want to ask God about. In your programs, I think there's a little card index card and and it's an opportunity for you to to write some sort of uh, prayer request some sort of ask that you want for God to deal with and if it's small that's okay but I'm challenging you to ask for something beyond your belief it ever got answered Something amazing and spectacular because I think a lot of times we limit God for what he can do for us or for someone else. And you heard the story that Dave just shared, and that is essentially a miracle that has happened. And so I want us all to be able to have the opportunity to ask, seek, and knock. Not to do it in a polite, timid, gentle way, but to be fervent and passionate and with urgency to ask. So during communion, which we'll be uh, having now, I'd like you just to reflect on what you would like to present to God. Uh, After you write it, you can uh, fold it in half, use uh, the little clips that are there, and you can pin it to the wall. So there's some confidentiality here. No one else is going to read these prayer requests. We'll dispose of them later but I will pray for them uh, at the end of our service but it's an opportunity for you to present them now I'm going to call the 
worship team up to, to lead us in a time of, of communion. I'm going to close our time for our message now and then present the elements. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for being a God who so loves us. And sometimes we forget that. We don't often appreciate that in our busyness, maybe in our own self-sufficiency. We feel we don't really need you. Lord, you are a God who delights in his children, and you give us all that we need. So I pray that we will all remember that, and not to be hung up or infatuated by the gifts or the things that we get, but to remember a God, a Father who loves us so dearly. It's all about that relationship that we have with you. And in a moment, we will be coming to, the, to your table, to the Lord's Supper. And may that be a moment where we can feel the intimacy we have with you through a simple act of eating and enjoying very basic elements of the juice and of the bread. You're an amazing God. We love you. And in Jesus' name we pray.